Hi, welcome. I am Jenny Graham, the Tulsa, the editorials editor at the Tulsa World Opinion Section, and I am here with Bobby Set, editorial writer with the Tulsa World. Thank you for coming back to us. Uh, this Yay. is this video is also available on podcast. You can get Google, Apple, and Spotify. So we're just going to dive right in. Uh, one of the interesting stories that I sort of got thinking about was one on the grocery tax. There is a, a movement to get rid of our taxes on groceries, which I think pulls something like $357 million from our budget, something like that. But oh, is anyway, that all? Something. Because, mm. you know, we're, we love cutting revenue, um, not so much, you know, making up for it in other ways. But in this debate, they got sidetracked with rotisserie chicken. Yes. Mm. So, and the whole debate was, is rotisserie chicken a meal or the ingredient? And I feel like I'm back on, like watching a Seinfeld episode. Is this a meal? Is it a snack? Is it a meal or is it an ingredient? So I am thinking hard about this and all of the ways I have, have used a rotisserie chicken. I think it's an ingredient. I think I can save the lawmakers a lot of pain. I'm going to go on the record and say, I, I buy it and I use it in other things. For instance, a great chicken and dumpling a chicken pot pie. So this is heavy thinking here, Bob. It is. You know, that's kind of, that's a staple around here. We get those rotisserie chickens. I make chicken tacos, um, chicken, anything, you know, whatever. I'll just take something off the bone and say, okay, we're going to throw this in there and I'll throw a little rice on the side and something else. And that's a meal to me, but you know, Welcome to our cooking show, everybody. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. And, you know, thanks for bringing this up at like an hour before lunch. Yeah, jerk. So is it an ingredient? It's an ingredient for you. Yeah, well, it's an ingredient for me. I understand the point of like not wanting to compete against restaurants. But, um, yeah, we we're kind of dealing with uh, weighty issues. Well, I think weighty the, the issues debate, on the though, legislative floor. Is, is they want to... They want to, you have to define what grocery is. And this has been a, a debate in food stamps or, or SNAP for years, decades, that if you have SNAP benefit, you can't use it on rotisserie chicken because it's considered a prepared meal and you can't use that for prepared meal. So it's this the same debate. We, we want to take away taxes on groceries, but is that a grocery? And so if you go back to your deli section where they might have a pizza and it's, already made. All you got to do is heat it up is, you know, so it, things sound great until you get into the details and how much time did this take up on the house floor or the Senate floor? I can't remember which it was. Yeah, I don't know, but all I can tell you is that's how can it be a prepared meal if there's not a carb? I mean, for me, it's protein, carb, veggie. It's one of the three. It's not all three. What are you doing here, guys? Why are we talking about this? Why are we not talking about the $350 million budget hole this is going to make? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. How are we going to make up for that? And, yeah, and more I, CARES Act I, money. I don't like taxes. Let's be on. I don't like it, but I also really like having the highway patrol and schools and and all the other things that that we we provide with that. So you know what I don't like? I don't like potholes. I potholes are bad. Like potholes. Have you cost ever money ruined one fix. of your cars with a pothole? Uh, I'm pretty sure I've wasted a couple tires on I-40 before. Just goes all through you. I have sent some serious damage to like I don't the axle. Is that what they call it? The thing that holds the the anyway. Yes. See, <laughs> I'll pay the tax on the rotisserie chicken 
if I don't have to take my car in. So did, did we just go from like a cooking channel to being a car talk? Oh, that would be bad. We should not do that. I but would be we... totally down for a car talk <laughs> episode. We can talk four wheel drives. I can do that for like a day for sure. I, I do think we should talk about how we need to be checking on our parents and grandparents who might be leaning toward the fringe right now because the uh the other fun story not fun it was a pain in pain in the back for some city councilors but there this week a couple of Tulsa city councilors were surprised because they were flooded with all this correspondence and calls of angry people uh saying that they don't want their voice taken away that was how it was phrased and apparently Senatorial candidate and pastor, Jackson Lehmeyer, out of nowhere, told his supporters on social media that they needed to flood Tulsa City Council Hall this week and get your voice back because they're going to take, basically take away citizen comments, which was not true. It's, that's not ever been discussed. It was out of nowhere. And so... Now, now, it's a good thing they did contact our city councilors before going to the meeting on Thursday because how disappointing. But it is yeah. it's like that's where I mean, we're at a place where we have to remind people, you know, political <laughs> candidates might not tell the truth. They might. It's like my uncle tells a story and I know half of it. I'm just not going to believe That's sometimes how politicians are. They exaggerate. They don't tell the truth. And not everything on the internet is true. <laughs> but but honestly, Bob, I mean, how do I mean when you you read that? I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know what to say to that anymore. Well, Jackson loves him some media, social media attention. <clears throat> it's going to get worse this season. Yes, it is, and I think when, especially, <laughs> I mean, realistically speaking, from a strategic strategy standpoint view in your campaign um is anybody making any inroads on james langford's re-election campaign no so this kind of freebie attention grabbing headline making base firing upping that's not really a word but you know what i mean yeah it, it uh, plays to the crowd yeah, it plays to the crowd and makes it look like you uh, have some relevance in what's going on here. So, sure. Yeah. Okay. But, well, yeah, that's not true. You know, City Councilor Phil Lakin did, and he's he's conservative, but he pushed mm -hmm. back. He got on there. It's like, this is not true. Don't waste your time. We're, and I think they were talking about, I mean, half of City Hall stuff is boring stuff. It's potholes. Important, but boring. They're not mm -hmm. taking your voice away. So Budgets. <laughs> oh, and guess how many people showed up? None. Zero, at least None. not on that issue. And even Mr. Lehmeyer himself didn't show up, so not Thanks, that Jackson. important to him. But but speaking of politicians, which we, we speak of a lot, mm -hmm. um, the state of the state was this week, and we had a podcast it earlier was. talking about it. But mm -hmm. it but it sort of inspired you to write an interesting column for this weekend um, mm. about this whole movement to, and it's basically dismantling public education that. Mm -hmm. It, 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 people are now looking at it saying, well, it's broken, so we're just going to get rid of it. Mm. And we're, it's broken, and we're going to do, you know, and it's, and that's always been sort of a, I always thought it was, I thought it was a conspiracy theory at, at one point that that's not true. They're not purposely setting it up to fail. But you're writing this column that, that does sort of track back 30 years 
mm-hmm. to that. And so I just, uh, you had some good, good lines in there, but, but what, where did you sort of go with it? I mean, you tell, tell, tell us a little bit more about your thinking behind that. Well, where do we start? Well, start so, with House Bill uh, 1017. 1017. So yeah. when I was, this, this goes back a ways. You're talking 1990. I was a senior in high school. Yeah, we're talking 1990. So this goes back a little ways. And people were understanding uh, our public school system was suffering. So uh, you went to a bit of a smaller school than I did. Uh-huh. I went to Union School. So it's pretty big, pretty big high school. Um, and at that time, we were pushing 30 to 35 kids in a classroom. And people saw stuff like that and the disparities in pay and all the other problems that were surfacing in public education. We got to do something about it. It's coming to a head. Teachers were starting to get organized and let their voices be heard. So House Bill 1017 comes up and it funds a whole bunch of different things. There was a bit of a tax increase that went with it. And I'm thinking when it passed, they say, oh, yeah, these even these big schools are going to have like class size limitations of 24 or less these kids are going to be spoiled. This is going to be amazing and stuff like that. And from the jump after that was passed and it was passed in a bipartisan measure signed by a Republican governor, almost from the jump, they tried to repeal it. Of course that failed and went to a a vote of the people, but then they passed state question 640, which uh, made it really, I'm not going to say impossible to tax, tax increase, but pretty close to it. Explain that was, that, was that the one that required a, a 60%? It, yes, it um, requires 75% approval of the okay. legislature or two-thirds of a vote of the people, I believe, to so pass a tax taxes. increase. But it, you and don't that need was, that to reduce taxes. It just takes right. a yes. simple majority. Yeah. So that was, and state, and state question 640 was, was definitely a reaction to House Bill 1017. And you go through the years since then, since 1990. And it has been the steady chipping away at public education to the point where we reached crisis levels in 2018. And then once again, it took the teachers and the public just to say enough, we've got to fix these problems. So the legislature grudgingly started putting together a tax package that passed that SQ 640 threshold to give teacher raises, but there's still a lot of problems left undone. And now we're hearing, well, we funded record amounts of da 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 in the public education and it's not working. So we're just gonna throw away the whole thing. And I've used some analogies in this column, but one that sticks out to me is you come into a situation and someone says, here's a car, here's how it runs keep this for a while and, you know, make sure it's running right. So the owner of the car, instead of taking care of the car and investing with it, opens up the, takes the sledgehammer and starts wailing away on the thing, shuts the hood, starts it up. It's not running right. He says, well, this stinks. Give me another car. That's what we're doing with public education right now. We are. Yeah. I think you noted that some of the, the public education's biggest critics are also the ones who are passing bills that harm public education, you know, the micromanaging of what you can or can't teach. I mean, you know, there's all of this uh, and they're going to still try to do some of that this year. And, and keep in mind, you know, this morning there was a story that Charles McCall said, uh, house speaker said that the voucher bill 
there's no appetite for vouchers in the house. So that's dead there, but they're always shell bills. It, nothing really mm. ever dies. Um, but I think rural lawmakers have, have the, we, we should say that the state of the state, uh, the governor and the Senate president have embraced this idea of fixing schools with vouchers, private school mm -hmm. vouchers. Vouchers, you know, a pot of money, like $5,600 that would go to all private school kids, all homeschool kids, all charter school kids, which are, charter schools are public schools. So I don't mm -hmm. really quite understand that. But um, the rural schools have realized, wait, this would really hurt us. Yep. Because if you take all the existing private school kids and homeschool kids and just, I mean, that takes a bunch of money out. And so that's, and that's kind of the reaction to that. But, you know, it's just, we're not a whole lot of talk about how to fix teacher pipelines and, and these other things yes. that are broken. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of things that are wrong right now. It's like you fixed or sort of fixed one problem with teacher pay. But then, you know, the record levels of retirements and the the broken teacher pipeline and the teacher shortage that we've had. And, you know, educators are still leaving Oklahoma to go teach in places that treat them better. And we keep making things harder, not just from a fiscal standpoint, but now we're starting to throw laws in there that says, you know, hey, you put the wrong book on the shelf. So you're going to get fined 10,000 bucks and fired. Or if you're teaching this thing and it makes my kid feel slightly uncomfortable or might run slightly astray from our religious beliefs and boom, you're out of here. It's, it's hard enough to be a teacher, you know, six hours in a given day, wrangling X number of students of, you know, of, that are coming from any kind of background and aptitude and everything else and trying to teach them all as best you can. And you're having to take work home and then you got all this mess going on. And it's just like the, the constant legislative meddling and quite it, frankly, undermining public education. Yeah. yeah it gets it to respect. Get to I respect. mean, you know, we would never tell other people how to do their jobs and we are here. And also, you know, when we talk about the, the teacher walkout, that was just about teacher pay. Yeah. And, and clearly it wasn't enough because we still have this broken teacher pipeline. You know, we have schools closing because we don't have enough staff to work in yep. the schools. But that did not address the, the classroom environment. There were 47th in per pupil expenditure. Mm -hmm. That gets at what resources are in the classroom. That did not lessen class size. It did not add anything to the actual schools. All it did was address that salary. So there's still a lot of work, but um, yeah. I, I will say, and here's the other rub, the school board races were this past week, right? Yeah. So low voter turnout. I mean, it's ridiculous how many people complain about schools and yet they can't turn out to vote on their school board representative. And, and I noticed in uh, the union district, only 12 votes separated the first and the second person. So yeah. anyone who's in, in TPS, I want to say it was, it was less than 100. So there will be a general election in April and we'll be reminding people, if you truly care, Find out who these people are and go vote. So yes, um, yes, for sure. Yeah, but the uh, but that got me thinking about I, my column this week is on these voter laws and mm -hmm. all across the nation, the the Brennan Law Center, or the Brennan Justice Center. I'm sorry, something like that. They, I, sorry if I get it completely wrong there. Uh, but they it, that group nonprofit tracks all of these laws. And what was interesting, they had their report come out. The law, most of the states that are in these 
big fights over voting expansion, voting process, who's counting the votes, who's doing that. They're all in swing states. So like in Oklahoma, I mean, we've got some laws that are proposed dealing with voting, but they're, it's just not a priority. I doubt it'll go anywhere. It's in the swings, which is interesting. Not in, in the liberal states too, not an issue. So if you're too conservative or too liberal, they don't care. So it's mm-hmm. only, in, and I found that fascinating. And Victories and, are in the margins. Exactly. Well, and the Oklahoma Women, uh, League of Women Voters this week, and I'm trying to get a hold of the, the actual survey, but they did a survey looking at the 2020 voter fraud complaints in Oklahoma, and there were 59 made, all but the 19 there in Oklahoma County haven't been disposed of, but the others have. Of those, one conviction, and it was a woman who had sent in her dead mom's absentee ballot. And so mm. one conviction. So not widespread voter fraud, but uh, but the, the other op-ed this week puts forth uh, an interesting uh, theory. And it's it's a new group called, or not new, it's been around for a couple of years, Oklahoma United for Progress. And Margaret Kobos is the founder, and she's writing an op-ed for us this Sunday. And she's putting forth this idea of open primaries. And her, her argument is that the low voter turnout is because the middle is being ignored and they're just yep. apathy, they're not coming out. And she, I think she leans conservative, but she's squarely in the middle. So her argument is that if we just go to open primaries, which other states have done, um, more people will turn out because they'll be focusing on the candidates, not the parties. Yes. Which is probably why it's doomed, to be honest. But, yeah. but it's an interesting idea that if everyone's on a ballot and you have, you know, Joe Smith R, Margaret Smith D, you know, you, you, the party is noted, but... The top two candidates, no, whoever they are, they could be two Republicans, two Democrats split, but the top two vote getters go on to the general. Her argument is that will bring more people out and the fringe will lose control. I now, like that might, idea. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's a silver bullet. What are, what are your, what's your thinking on that? Well, I'm, I'm appreciative that the, the state Democratic Party opened up their primaries. They did. Because yes, at least did. in the primaries, if I because I'm an independent, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Me too. At least there's some place I can go. It's like, well, okay, I can choose between these candidates. But I don't have that ability with the Republican Party right now. And I can tell you that at least from well, the last few gubernatorial elections and presidential elections, there were candidates in there on the Republican side I would love to have uh, weighed in on. Mm-hmm. Um, um not a minute of winning, but you know, whatever. But at the same time, it gets a little bit more power for people to campaign to all of us. Right. It, right. It's it the the because I've seen candidates who have been in the middle, you know, mm-hmm. really sort of a centrist, but then because they're trying to win their party's vote, they go to the fringe, whether that's the yep. friends of the left or friends of the right. And so, and you don't know who these people are. Like, yeah. you know, are they, they're one person on social media. They're one person when they're talking to a newspaper reporter. They're another person when they're in front of the Rotary Club. Yeah, another, just, you know? it'd, it'd so be nice hard. to dispense of all of that and just say, and just be who you are and let the chips fall where they may. And I have a feeling you would find most people 
I mean, there is a, there is a thought that maybe some folks are being conditioned to support the fringes now, but you know, we have voter turnouts right now that, like you said, with the school board elections that are extremely low. And even in these bigger general elections, uh, especially in the off years, you know, our turnout isn't all that hot. It's not as no. big as it and should be. And those are nonpartisan. Be. So, so, you know, yeah. there, there could be an argument that even nonpartisan elections, you know, have a hard time getting voters. So it, it could be just the office. Well, and, and think about, well, and to my point, I'll say like the, the general election type of stuff, our gubernatorial elections probably don't pull as many votes as they should, as well as the off-year congressional elections. I mean, they're going to get more than the local ones will, but still, I mean, our turnout, you know, if we edge above 50% in Oklahoma in a general election, we're doing pretty good outside of a presidential year. So, uh, yeah, I think that would definitely, I also wonder too, if the candidates who are more mainstream thinking are spooked to run because they just don't see they'll have a chance to win. So it sort of sets us up to have radical candidates on both sides, and there is nobody in the middle. That drives down turn. It's hard to get people to to, to run. I mean, it's, and and I appreciate, even the ones I won't vote for, I appreciate that they're putting themselves out there to to serve, because you get beat up a lot. And I do think that some of the meanness that has crept up in the social media trolling that some of our, our elected leaders put up with you know, it ends up being based on their, you know, attacks on their personality or their person rather than their policy. And sometimes it's hard to recruit good people. And so we have to, you know, when you're going out after someone you don't like, just remember that, you know, we're trying, you know, if you're, if you're part of the problem, then, then, you know, back off, just stop being mean, I guess, but it is, it's trying to get the more people in the center to run and, and it's getting harder and harder to, to get that. So, but, but I do appreciate the, the, the op-ed that puts forth the idea. I mean, I think mm-hmm. anything that it, it's, it's worth at least discussing and debating, you know, can we do something in our systems that will help make voting easier, which kind of gets to my column, which is I, I found there was a difference between a, a Pew Center report came out, the way people view voting I've always viewed it as a right. Like I was taught when I was a kid, it's a God-given right as an American, it's your responsibility, it's patriotism. But then this Pusina report found that there's this other thinking of no voting's a privilege, that mm. we can put all kinds of obstacles. And in a way they're right. You know, we we do allow for, you know, things to be in place, whether it's your citizenship status or your age or how long you've lived in the state. So, you know, there, there's some thinking of how do you bridge that gap on, on, on how you view voting? And I, I guess for me, it doesn't matter. Just go vote. <laughs> if you have yeah. a voting card, go vote. But, um, and uh, so kind of moving on, there's no good segue to this, but I was both with the health department audit coming out. It was both disappointing because of what it found, but... It also uh, was reassuring that we have a state auditor inspector dedicated to transparency, that she, you know, they they worked hard to do the audit, but then also made it a- available to the public and online. And, and Bob, I'll let you, you tell the backstory to that because at least one official didn't view that audit as an open <laughs> record. Yeah, so 
the former attorney general, Mike Hunter, had asked for the state auditor to do this investigatory audit uh, of the health department because there's it looked like some things were just going off the rails in terms of uh, money being spent to mitigate COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we spent millions of dollars on stuff that we have not seen delivered to us yet. And a lot of a lot of the things that the auditor found was like, all right, well, you had this, but it's against the state constitution to do it this way. And there were some other things where there was a lack, lack of controls. Um, well, and the, on the and one, on and on. The, the other finding that, that was sort of interesting to me was the, the sole source that yes. these purchases were made based on. Uh, basically a handshake deal from yeah, people was, who knew each it other. Was, I think it was people that was friendly with the leadership, which is, you know, it's an old boy network or. If yeah, women are in there too, but you, um, you had one part of the governor's leadership team had a personal past working relationship uh, with an executive at Sonic who is now starting up this had this company that was formed in 2020 to yeah to do stuff and they you know it was just kind of turned into a mess. So it's like you know hey probably instead of saying oh yeah this is a good guy let's just go with it and you know, circumvent any kind of competitive bidding. Right. And, and that's the, the difference between business and, and government. Yes. Government has a lot of, you can do that in a private business. You can say, yeah, we'll, we'll do this. You can't. But Cindy Bird did, and her team did a great job in covering that. They did. And what was interesting with this is that we knew this thing was been coming out for a while. Um, the Tulsa world had been asking the state auditor for the report um, <clears throat> the state attorney general seemed to want to keep the findings of this thing uh, secret, which is interesting. You got to ask why, specifically well, in serving the timing of why. Now, why keep it secret now? And, 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 I, and, and to, be, to be fair, and I want it because for people who are listening, the, the Frontier made an open records request to the attorney general, and the attorney right. general said he, he was not going to release it. And I don't know why. I mean, he just said, we're just not going to release it. So so that was that was the Frontier did that. And we had had a pending request with the auditor for it, with too. The state so. auditor's office. And yeah. the state auditor had a different opinion on this. Mm -hmm. She said, very matter-of-factly, that this report belongs to the taxpayers of Oklahoma. And there's no reason why they shouldn't see it. And what I thought was interesting is they didn't just give us a copy of it, another media copy of it and say it's available and let the chips fall where they may she went with the further step of putting it online and if you look at the state auditor's twitter uh account they posted it there it's like you know we don't think it should be we think this should be open and here it is mm -hmm. so the whole public can see it which is really the way it should be and i find that to me, that's very interesting because most of the state leadership, and I'm talking, we're talking about the statewide offices, are fairly well, I hate using the word lockstep, but they are very unified behind the administration. The one big example we saw where that was not the case was in the state education department and with the uh, superintendent, state superintendent, who was now running against the governor as a Democrat. Um, so for Bird to make that step, 
That's oh, that's interesting. And you know, that's why we have a, a vote for an independent auditor. I mean, that, that's that, that interesting. Seat is, to is me. independent. And, and I'd say a, a win for the public that we, because that's exactly the kind of information that the yeah. Open Records Act was meant for. So, politically um, speaking, I don't think that necessarily means that she's anti stit or anything no, like that. All. It doesn't mean that necessarily. She might be, she might not be. I don't know. But what it does mean to me is that she saw a public duty to get that report out there, even if it makes the state look bad, because mm-hmm. that's what she is charged to do. Mm-hmm. Gotta like that. Oh yeah, and she stood, she, she was the one uh, who pursued EPIC and they came yes. out after her hard. They tried yes. to get laws passed, remember, to try to restrict her duty. So, yes. so she has, she's been a hero uh, on a couple of occasions so far. So uh, yeah, she's know, been, she's been she, one of them sunshine award type of people. She yes, is getting the light on some stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to end this, we, we want to end on a high note. Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Even though my team's not in it. That's not. An I'm opponent. in it. That's not an opponent. That's Denver for people who can't see. He's wearing a Denver hat, but you don't get to choose them. You 52 have the Rams, all the way. And you have the Bengals. So who, do you, who are you pulling for? <sighs> who am I pulling for? This is so hard because I always love to see it when a team that has never won the Super Bowl gets there and they finally get over the hump and you just got – I love the whole Joe Burrow story and, you know, the Bengals were the worst team in their division last year, the year before mm-hmm. that. I think they won like two games and, you know, we're talking like a couple seasons later, they're in the Super Bowl. That's pretty exciting. But as my – hat here denotes there's one of my favorite players who played for Denver for years Von Miller he's an edge rusher he now plays for the Rams and I would just love for him to get another uh ring as well so I am just pulling for a great game I am excited about the halftime I'm I'm, I'm pulling for Snoop Dogg that's who I'm behind Always so it's, it's like, it, come on, you're a Gen Xer. This is like a, a Gen X hip hop bonanza. Dr. Dre's little, dog, Mary J. Blige. You're going to have a little Eminem. gin juice. Get a little gin <laughs> well, juice. Well, I'm half-time. excited about that. And I'm excited to get my rotisserie chicken to make chicken nachos. Oh. And I'll be happy to pay tax on. Uh, but I'm, I'm just going to pull for Joe Burrow just because I think it's a great story. I'm and is it true? For... I don't know. I saw a meme, and you know everything on the internet's true. Mm-hmm. That no one, that there's been no, no one who's won the Heisman Trophy, that also won the national championship, and then went on to win a Super Bowl. Is that true? Ooh, boy, I'd have to dig into that one, but that'd be a great thing. We to we need to ask into. Barry Lewis. Barry Lewis and our sports department would know this because Ooh. that would be cool. And if it's not true, I don't care. I'll still pull for Joe Burrow. And well, I'm, I'm I really don't. For, I'm pulling for bratwursts. <laughs> we got bratwursts in the fridge that are. And that's be a good. You're this. German, so that makes sense. And some mac and cheese. Mac and cheese, really? Oh, mac and cheese. Yeah. Finger, you gotta have finger foods. Mac and cheese with your bratwursts. Okay. Are you crazy? Okay, I'll try. <laughs> it can't be bad. It's bratwurst and mac and cheese. It's, it's awesome. Good. It's one of the best things you'll ever put in front of your face. I can't Especially see how that would during be a football game. That's right. Well, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the football game. Yep. The session, the legislative session started up. So there's going to be stuff to talk about. 
Oh, be crazy. baby, they're going to be crazy. Session and election year. So it's going to be something. So tune in next week, unless we get inspired to have a podcast mid- midweek, we'll let you know. So until then, have a good week. Adios. For more information, you can visit TulsaWorld.com.